All right, here we are, guys. Welcome to the Flavor Expedition. I'm your co-host, Dan Follisey, along with Chase Obachain. Hey, Chase, how are you doing today? Hello, hello. I'm doing great. I'm very excited. We have our very first ever guest. and What? A guy that we've both known for, <laughs> for quite some time. Uh, you know, a, a very close friend. But I'll let you do the introduction. You started out. I'll, I'll leave it. Well, we're not going to go through the bio and the resume because that's just way too long. And uh, But we can tell you that he's larger than life, uh, can lift a 1,000 pounds over his head and uh you certainly don't want to uh you know cross him in a dark alley and piss him off we've got the uh infamous uh famous chef christopher tanner with us today so chef tanner welcome welcome just it's it's funny to say that meet me in a dark alley i'm the like most passive person ever look i'm 310 pounds six foot but uh i I would i would i've never raised a raised a a finger or fisted anyone ever so (laughs) well you know the, the irony do that so yeah well <laughs> being the irony to that is uh is you know your incident in in new orleans last year which i it blows my mind we're going to jump into something we're going to try to follow our path of, of past present and future this is kind of past talk uh but you got you got jumped in new orleans which oh, isn't thanks surprising for, thanks, for the, thanks for the ptsd no <laughs> oh my god yeah unfortunately someone got from me behind and just because you're large doesn't mean that someone's not going to try to take you down and Someone ran behind me, tried to grab my bag off my back, and I uh, they they toppled over me, and I toppled into the ground. And you don't see the there might be a red mark there still. But there's a million people. There's a million people on that street in Bourbon Street, and 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 they pick out the largest <laughs> guy in the in the tire street. I know he looks like an easy target. Let's take him down. Uh, so yeah, uh, so yeah, a little little bit. And of the starting past. on a, a wild note, there, man. I, I know we were I'm talking crazy. About food, I'm Holy crazy. Moly. We can Good talk Lord. about food too. Yeah, we, we do want to talk about food. So actually what we want to talk about is is really, um, first of all, thank you for, for being our, our first guest. Uh, I think it's really important to set the My tone honor. of, of uh, having you here and, and, you know, all the great things you've done uh, outside of your current organization. Maybe why don't you just give us a quick moment of your bio and, and then we'll go into really what it means to be a chef is what we're going to chat about today. Gosh, yeah. So it's interesting to talk about my career because it, it's it's gotten into so many different angles, and I think that's what brought me to the ACF now. So my my current role is executive director of operations for the American Culinary Federation. Uh, I operate a team of uh, about twenty individuals that uh, run the national office for the American Culinary Federation. We have about sixteen of us in the national office, and four of four of my team are remote. Um, we do everything from certification to accreditation, culinary competitions. We run an annual conference. Uh, this year will be in Phoenix, Arizona. We have master craft summits. Uh, we are the sponsors for Team USA, who are on their way, are actually out in Germany right now, getting ready for the Culinary Olympics. Uh, but my, my path to, to leading up to here, um, I've, uh, I've, I've from Schenectady to New York originally, a uh, graduate from Schenectady mm-hmm. County Community College. Uh, they were an ACF accredited school. So that was one of my first forays into the ACF. I, I was on t- uh, a local competition team for the school. Uh, and um, just, uh, I won, I was uh, awarded student student culinary of the year on the American Culinary Federation when I was a student there. And uh, just uh, fell in love with the organization and just continued it through my career. Uh, I worked in restaurants for a number of years, uh, staged at uh, Bayona in New Orleans. Uh, there's New Orleans again. Yeah. <laughs> and also uh, worked, worked, uh, worked my way through uh, for Disney, worked at Flying Fish Cafe at Disney and, and restaurants across the entire country. Um, I uh, was a chef at uh, Tonight Lodge out in Yosemite, executive sous chef, um, worked in Vermont, went to California Sushi Academy during that time. And I just kind of wanted to find some direction in my, my career eventually. So I ended up going to, and, and Chase will know this, uh, some of you know, that SUNY Delhi in New York, um, you may or may not know, is a, a school up there that competes as well. Uh, so I ended up going there. I met Tom Resinella, who's a, a, another ACF judge, who was a mentor to me, and uh, started doing a culinary competition. So here we go again. I get back and see ACF again. Uh, I started competing as a professional at that point because I was 27 at that time when I went to SUNY Delhi. Um, took me three years to do that degree. The reason was one, I, I ran a country club during the summers, uh, the, the Winnesota club, but also, um, and we'll talk about this, I think a little bit of education, but my, my culinary degree was an uh, occupational studies degree. So I didn't do any of the gen ed requirements when I did my culinary degree. And I, I really think that that's was helped propel me a little bit further, not having to do a lot of that. But when I decided to finally do my bachelor's degree, when I did my gen ed studies, 
uh, finished up there, went to uh, to Boston. Uh, I happened to do a culinary competition at Boston University that was out there, and I found I didn't want to get an MBA. Um, it just seemed like that was the, the what everyone else did. And when I went to Boston University, they had this gastronomy and food studies degree that was there. So mm-hmm. I knew with the associate's degree, I knew I learned how to cook. The bachelor's degree taught me how to make money, how to cook. I wanted to understand why we eat what we eat and understand trends and all those sort of things. So that's how I ended up at Boston University. Julia Child and Jacques Pepin were the creators of that program there. Uh, Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Pretty pretty notable people. So so Jacques Pepin came up with it. He, He was looking for a way for chefs to get a master's degree. So he got his master's degree from Columbia University in New York and said, you know, not everyone should do that. We should do something that's more so it's more of a liberal arts approach to food. So all, all the all the different aspects, history, sociology, business in there as well. I did all my classes in two semesters. <laughs> you know, I think about Boston, Boston University, it's not cheap. And uh, it was tw- at the time, you know, we're talking Oh, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, it was $25,000 a semester then. So uh, I wasn't paying more than $50,000 for college. So I did in two semesters <laughs> and uh, I got done and uh, it took me. So then I went to, um, I planned on taking a semester off and uh, um, and teaching, uh, not taking a semester off, but taking a semester teaching as an adjunct at Schenectady County Community College where I graduated from. Uh, four and a half, four years later, I was married. Uh, uh, I became an ACF competition judge. Uh, I'd finished my, my certification for a certified executive chef uh, right when I started there. Um, had a team, uh, had a competition team myself that we were, I was coaching there. Had a student win Northeast Region Student Chef of the Year uh, and uh, any number of other accolades that were there. And I finally finished my thesis after four and a half years. My nice. wife pushed me to do it. And uh, I wrote a wrote a, uh, a, um, a project on creating a retail environment for Garmage curriculum because I thought it was important for the students not just to learn to make, how to make two pounds of sausage, how to make 50 pounds of sausage, and also show what different outlets. Uh, went from there, went to leadership roles, uh, ended up becoming a, a, the uh, dean for the culinary program for Montgomery Community College. And then uh, my, I took a left turn at Albuquerque. A friend of mine was a certified master chef. Uh, Tom Griffiths was a CMC at a VP of Culinary for Kimball Soup Company and uh, asked me if I was interested in a job. I'm like, not really, but I'll come talk to you. And uh, <laughs> four and a half years later, I was uh, I oversaw the America's Division for Campbell's. So Pace, Prego, Swanson, Plum Baby Food. Uh, and that's where Chase and I, I met when I was up at Pepperidge Farm. Uh, I got promoted to a global position where of Global Biscuits and Snacks. So oversaw culinary for uh, Pepperidge Farm up in Connecticut. And um, uh, restructuring my, my position along with a number of other chefs' positions were eliminated. And I went back to education for a little bit. So I went and closed Columbus Culinary Institute. Yeah. You and me both, Chef. You and me both. <laughs> I, uh, I closed Columbus <laughs> Culinary Institute, unfortunately, and then went back to corporate again and ended up at Griffith Foods uh, two years before moving down here to Jacksonville, Florida. I was head of culinary and uh, supported sales marketing as well down here at Rubik's Foods. And uh, about five months ago, we had a whole big changeover of the ACF, and um, a couple of people were eliminated from positions, including our executive director, our CFO, and some changes, and a new board came in. And... Uh, they asked me if I was interested in interviewing, and again, I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm comfortable in my position, but I didn't realize 90% of my career came from the ACF. So, and um, here I am now. I, I interviewed, and uh, we're leading forward. So, Woo, take a breath. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I think I there's a new rule. Short, new rule is going to have to go in place. We're going to have to uh, one minute or less to introduce yourself. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, what, a, really what, a storied, what a storied background. And I, actually, I think it's really important people understand that. You know, everyone's culinary path is is completely different, and, and that's uh, why that's why that's why I purposely talked about that because I've touched all aspects of of the industry, and I think it's important for people yeah. to realize that our paths are not all the same. So, mm-hmm. absolutely, now that's such a a good point is the fact that there's a million different places you can go in the culinary field, and there's a million different ways you can take to end up at very similar paths. Yeah, um, so no, I, I think that's a really great point. Or at some point you cross over and touch. And there's some things I think, quite honestly, I believe that a lot of culinarians never get the opportunity to try some of the things you spoke about uh, is simply because they weren't told about it. Yeah. They made aware of it. So, you know, it's just, it's like corporate food manufacturing. That was never, ever discussed. And I went to Johnson & Wales. Now they've got an entire lab and, and, and whole food science hybrid you know, program to built around it. Yeah. 
wasn't even wasn't even a thought when I when I attended uh, culinary school. Yeah, they never they never talked about that. Obviously, with me either. And uh, when when Tom asked me if I was interested, I'm like, I don't even know what any, what any of this stuff is. But it made me realize that having chefs and in, in, in the in the kitchen changes the dynamic of the food that we've been looking at for years. So if and if you don't have a chef looking at it, you're going to end up with a lot of the same food over and over again because it's easy for someone to put together. When chefs are involved, we push the button a little bit, and sometimes we don't know the process or don't care about the process, so we'll smash it a little bit and put it back together. So yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, I think it's really interesting to, to take a look at that and, and understand the past of where culinary was, where food was being manufactured. Uh, you know, all the things that brought us to this point of a plethora of options, right? You've got, uh, uh, you know, of course we have a scoffier that, that codified recipes and put things together. We have food safety with guys like uh, Louis Pasteur who, you know, helped extend shelf life of things. And I think there's a lot of culinarians uh, even to this day, who really don't put a lot of thought behind all of those different uh, exposures that you had because they just go to their local Cisco website and hit click and the food shows up. But, but Dan, one of the things that, that people don't realize is Scoffier helped with the canning process. So during, mm -hmm. during, uh, during the war, uh, Scoffier actually helped revolutionize it in canning process. So, um, and if, I think if he was alive today, he would probably be revolutionizing, you know, sous vide cooking for, for, uh, for the industry or, or, uh, any number of different things that we would, we would be using that we take for granted now. I think yeah. he would be working with that stuff too. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely something in, in there about, uh, all the great things that they've done in the past, all the things we've all done in the past to get us to where we are today. Um, you know, maybe there's uh, some, some things as I know you're really focused on the ACF. I would love to hear uh, if you could share some of the things that are going to be transitioned and maybe different about um, the ACF. I guess one of the things that come to my mind is, you know, it was really kind of brought, you know, to forefront, the reason why the organization is 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 at its prominence uh, because of the the entire Department of Labor classification of of chefs, right? Uh, that was a big thing to do. It was it was done a long time ago. Uh, do you see if there's any new classifications that um, that would be something to push forward to with the Department of Labor, or or is there a different way that the ACF is kind of approaching any of that subject? Yeah, so obviously our, our 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 vision or our tagline is the standard of excellence for chefs in, in the United States of America. Um, I think more so is we were definitely thought of the standards of cooking, especially at one point, and you know that's something that we're working to get that message back to where it is. And we've emphasized most of our most of our um, ninety five years. This is our ninety fifth year of in, in existence. That uh, about fine dining cooking for the most part. So as, as we know, as, as the economies change and different things change, our emphasis on different areas and what we were just talking about uh, has redefined what a chef is. So is a chef just someone who works in fine dining? I would say that all three of us probably when we went to culinary school probably thought that that's what we wanted to do. It's also the area that pays the least in our industry because you learn so Absolutely. much when they're part of, part of it is you're doing it because you love it and you're passionate. You want to learn and you want to do that high end. Piece, but um, one yeah. of the, the emphasis that I'm personally looking, and I know our board's looking at, is how do you become more inclusive about the rest of the industry? So sure. we do have the rest, Research Chef Association that was kind of actually a break off from us. Um, and I'm working on building those relationships back. So I'm, I'm actually doing a presentation with Chef Walter Zoromsky, who's one of the founders for the RCA. He and I are doing a presentation at the upcoming conference there and vice versa, having those relationships. So part of it is bringing the relationship back with some of those organizations. Helps that I've been part of both organizations and so as Walter and so as many of other people. But it's also looking at the, the what a definition of a chef is today too. Or even I would say a kitchen manager or even a definition of culinary. The word chef means chief who's someone who's in charge. Yeah, um, it's just because someone doesn't run a fine dining restaurant doesn't make they're not a chef. So I'll, I'll just take us to food trucks for a second. So uh, we have a, tr a food truck called VUCA food truck here. It's an Italian street food food truck. They're both graduates from the Culinary School of America. Because they're running a food truck, does Ooh. that mean they're not a chef? They're both CIA grads and they're making amazing food out of there, right? 
Yeah. So, and then I, we just talked about Campbell Soup Company, where Chase and I worked together. We had a certified master chef, one of the top people in the in industry, uh, creating food for, uh, for for canning and for uh, for uh, packaged bread and packaged cookies. Uh, because he's working there, does that make him less of a chef? No, that means they're taking that chef skill and turning it into a different way. But then even we talk about chain restaurants. So at the chain restaurants, so you look at like Applebee's or Friday's or some of those restaurants, at the top, they actually have a lot of chefs that are, are leading the, the research and design and the marketing for building those menus. But think about the people that are working in the actual locations. So uh, just because someone's working at a, at a as a culinary and kitchen manager, of a, a local, I use Cracker Barrel for an example, doesn't mean they're any less of a culinary. It's just a different style of culinary. They still have to have management skills. They still have to have supervision skills. They still have to have sanitation skills and they still need to know how to properly plate their food and put it out it's just a different style of food so with the acf what i'm trying to do is be more inclusive and bring those folks into our fold and then also find opportunities to help them with their careers as well they may not want to be you know fine dining chefs and they probably shouldn't be because they're actually doing something different they're standardizing I can go to a chain restaurant here in Jacksonville, Florida, and go to the same chain restaurant overall, all the way in San Francisco, California, and have the exact same meal. A lot of fine dining chefs can't say that because they can only do it in the one location. Yeah. So I, I think it's important for us to embrace that as well. And that's one of the one of the pieces of my mission is to embrace that style of cooking as well. Yeah, I think that's really interesting uh, because it's it is, you know, chef gets thrown around so loosely. Uh, and, and it's, 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 it's more, uh, I see it more as, as, as a way of paying respect, uh, than to others. And, and like, like, uh, we've talked about in the past, we're not in a kitchen on the line on a daily basis. Uh, do we call ourselves chefs? I think in, 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 you know, have we earned, we've earned it over time, I guess. Uh, in, and we are certainly accustomed and familiar with, with food preparation and handling and, and all those, uh, ways but uh i, I love that it's it, you know chris a, earlier a collaborative approach to it chris earlier you said a, a great sort of just a, a kind of encompassing statement about it in that when we said you know we're talking about what does it mean to be a chef you said that's a pretty blanket term there right and i to your point it's it's such an incredibly vague vague term i mean the amount of people who work in in the food and beverage industry that are you know very much cooks or that run their own kitchen that get kind of no respect for what they do are very much chefs and there are people you know for you know just a, a bit of a kind of reference to what you said who no longer cook but have cooked their entire lives and know everything about cooking that are are referred to as chefs in their day-to-day -day. i mean more often than not at campbell's i was probably sitting at a computer writing formulations and doing nutritional analysis, working on processing and, and so forth. Um, and there were entire days where maybe I didn't even cook, but, you know, we walked around and, and there was always a, hey, chef, how's it going? Uh, do you think that there's something to be said about the kind of development of romanticism that is kind of painted onto chefs nowadays as, as kind of a title? I know, you know, chefs came from what were originally you know, servants and servitude types of, of roles historically. And now it's looked at as something that's this really kind of larger than life atmospheric uh, title. Yeah. I think that was both a, a positive and negative to us, to us when the, when the, when the, uh, the food network kind of launched and, and propelled us forward as, 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 as some people said, culinary rock stars. And you got the books like, <laughs> Like Anthony Bourdain had written, and and it really you know, brought a lot of attention to us. I think both positive and negative. So, I think from a positive standpoint, it got more people to grow into our industry and want to do what we we do for a living. But at the same time, I think it over elevated us. It gave us that ego a little bit. It, it turned us. I hate the term celebrity chef. Um, what's a celebrity chef? I mean, at the end of the day, are, are you a chef or are you a celebrity? Because it may, if you're saying you're a celebrity, it means you're probably not in the kitchen anymore influencing. That's okay. And But at the end of the day, what I, I think is if we refer to ourselves as, as hospitality or culinary industry professionals, I think that that's a little bit different. And that's where I think of us as industry professionals rather than just saying that we're chefs. Um, mm -hmm. A chef is a leader. It's a French word. So it literally means chief. So in France, you have yeah. a chef de bibliothèque, which is a, the chief of the library. So, and that's why it's called a chef de cuisine in France. We just, we change the terminology here in the United States and that's okay. 
it's just, again, we have to, I don't even have a kitchen in my office building. We literally have a kitchenette with a microwave, a toaster oven, and a dishwasher. So at least I know at some point I can go back to my career start and do dishes again. Um, But at the same time, you know, I think industry, uh, a culinary industry professional is really, that word professional, I think, is the most important part. And and you'll hear, if you're around me anytime recently, I use the word uh, um, personal excellence. Someone who, who works in personal excellence is someone who's an industry professional. I think it's important for us to, to recognize everyone in every aspect of what we do. Um, whether it's, uh, hey, we have people that are professional prep cooks. That's okay. That's what they want to do for a living. Um, yep. they, but they're industry professionals, and we need to make sure we're recognizing that. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. There was also, uh, you know, I know back in my days in the in the kitchen, you know, there was they were really given that uh, recognition. You know, it was kind of the dumped on position, and sometimes it was the 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 dishwasher who was made or asked to, you know, fill in and prep and and do all these other things. But you know, it's those guys that that said yes, yeah, chef. Yeah. And then they got elevated, and next thing you know, they're the ones owning the restaurant twenty years later. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and but I think it's having a basic understanding of cooking for all of what we've done in our corporate corporate food lives. If we didn't have that basic understanding of, of proper cooking, then we couldn't have done a lot of what we what we've done. So. Um, but again, I think the world's changing. The students that are coming out of culinary school today don't necessarily want to work in a fine dining restaurant to start off to understand that. Um, and I don't think you need to. I think that I don't even think you need to go into culinary school. And if we get a, get to talk about apprenticeships at a certain point, I think that would be interesting to talk mm-hmm. about where the industry can go. But but also um, working in culinary world, food science is important. We don't learn about food science in culinary schools. Mm-hmm. Um we take a basic science class in culinary school. It doesn't prep us for what we're doing unless you happen to find, it's like Johnson & Wales at the Culinary Institute of America have their culinology programs and some of the community colleges have them as well. They're uh, accredited by the Research Chef Association. Um, but it's uh, the food science, I think, is important. I wish we can contextualize. I'm going to go off on a tangent. I wish we can contextualize culinary education, particularly in colleges, a little bit more. So mm. college, colleges have gone away from getting people ready to go into the industry to work and gone to getting people ready to go get a bachelor's degree. And then a mm. bachelor's Ooh, degree is to go get yeah, someone ready to get a master's degree. It's a business. It's no longer about getting us ready. When 50% of your degree is gen ed studies and has nothing to do with your degree, it has nothing to do with getting you ready for your, for your career. It has everything to do about filling the education gap. So yeah, that's yeah. My, just my personal opinion. Well, and, um, and you know, that kind of, that kind of brings us to the future to some degree. ACS, uh, ACS opinion. So <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. As, as that, that actually brings us to the present of, of, of uh, lack of labor uh, that's available. Yeah. It seems, uh, you know, the, the lack of, of, new students graduating uh, high school students wanting or not wanting to go to college, the Mm -hmm. rise of vocational education, everything's circling, you know, it's all circumferential in that, in that way. And, uh, you know, I believe, you know, I, I base this on, on past history of, of just my father's lack of, of formal education. Uh, he's a man who never finished high school, uh, went to the military, did his thing and then came out and, and got into the trade business of being an electrician and held his master's electric license for 30 some years. And man, we had a wonderful uh, lifestyle as a kid. And I think there's uh, opportunity. Uh, I just thought it was really interesting. You said, you know, I don't think uh, everyone needs to be in college, especially for culinary. And it makes you think because, you know, these other, edu- these other business formats don't require that. And at the end of the day, we're a business. We're doing this not only because we love and we're passionate about cooking, as I really do love cooking. I have a blast when I'm preparing something and I create something for my family or for friends. And it's like, Hey man, you got to try this. It's a killer. But that being said, you know, do you need to spend four years, carry a whole bunch of student debt? Right. Um, and, and then, and then go out in the world, try to get a job. And, you know, uh, you're certainly not going to go into a, in a white tablecloth restaurant. And, and then there's the, the whole, you know, oh, I have a culinary education and I shouldn't go work at McDonald's. Well, McDonald's is paying $20 an hour and yeah, they've got some of the finest places. Yeah. They got some of the finest education, mm-hmm. hamburger you and, yeah. um, you know, those, those annual unit volumes are multi-million dollars and they're expanding with, with cosmics and another, I think I saw another 500 units in the next uh, five years with them. 
think so, business business ownership, and that's business ownership. And, and again, I was talking about culinary manager. The person who's managing a McDonald's is a culinary manager at the end of the day. They may not be cooking the food that we all started off with. So I, I'm going to – so there, I think, in my opinion, there's two paths uh, really for, for what we can do to, to grow our industry or maintain or grow our industry, but also you mentioned high school. Mm -hmm. A lot of high school, there's a lot of high school vocational programs. So ACF, ProStart, um, the Skills USA, all, all work toward building up the high school programs. Right. I encourage more parents. If you're listening to this, encourage your <laughs> encourage your students to, if they want to do it. The culinary path in in vocational schools should not be. Oh, I don't think that that Billy or Sally can do uh, well in class, so let's put them in culinary. It should be one of those things that. This is a trade, so don't think of it just as culinary arts. Think of it as a trade. This is a great trade for you to someday get into that you'll be not only able to feed yourself every day, but also be able to have a career at. And when you start at those, especially those accredited schools, they have accreditation by the ACF. There's a standard of excellence that's there that gets them ready for the industry. Now you have a path. If you want to go, if you want to go into to be a research chef, you have to go get a degree. So especially if you want to work for any of these companies, you need to go to college path and start finding the correct college path for it. But that's not for everybody. Right. Some people want to have a job. Some people want to have a career in culinary and the apprenticeship that we we offer a six, twelve, and uh, two year apprenticeship model that through a large number four hundred uh, large number of schools throughout the year uh, the cu country. But also that you could do online. We're just, this is a, something that we're just starting to build. In the past, it all had to be done through a school. Now we have an online learning center with the ACF where you can actually do your academic pieces all online for your for your apprenticeship. Hmm. Uh, again, you go through the six month, it's a certified fundamentals cook. You go through the one year, it's a certified culinarian, which by the way, is the same certification you get out of two years of college. And then, mm. uh, or you can become a certified sous chef after you graduate from a two-year apprenticeship model. So Westmoreland College, uh, college in, in uh, Pennsylvania is an example of that. Col uh, Columbus State is another example in Columbus, Ohio. So you're going to differentiate yourself from everybody else in the industry, if, especially if you're going the culinary path, because everyone, it doesn't matter. I went to Schenectady County Community College. You've got uh, here in, in, in Jacksonville, we have FSCJ, Florida State uh, Community College, Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. You graduate with just that degree, you're just a number of just like everybody else has that. But when you graduate from an apprenticeship, you not only are showing that you, you've went through this program of apprenticeship, you're also graduating a, cert, a certificate afterwards, and you also have all that time working in the industry as well. Oh, and it doesn't cost that much either, anywhere near. You're not saddled with debt. A, a fraction, right? And paid you're getting on, paid. on the job training, <laughs> and less than $5,000 even to go through the one-year program. Yeah. So, um, not too bad. You know, my, my, I told you, my so, master's degree cost me $25,000 a semester. So. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to talk about my uh, multiple CIA degrees. But, you know, Chris, you mentioned it earlier, and you, you made a, a point that's been kind of sticking out to me mentally recently is, you know, how with the fact that, you know, we look at Gen Z and then Gen Alpha coming after them, uh, becoming less and less um, inclined to work hard manual labor, you know, hours and hours standing, working and so forth. Um, how how do you think that as an industry, um, you know, culinarians can be more, I don't know if the word is kind of incentivizing or enticing or, you know, realistic and interesting to people who want to get into it or to attract more people to it? I think the degree is part of that. So a lot of people don't want to get a degree. So that apprenticeship model, I think, is part of that. It's enticing people to go, if it's someone that doesn't want to work as hard, I don't know how to help you with that one. So that, that, that's <laughs> hey, he's just lazy, right? Yeah, that's, that's uh, so there, there's there's an issue there. But uh, I think uh, you, you get them out of the house maybe and push them a little bit. Maybe things will change. But we, we I think it doesn't matter what the generation was. We were all there at certain points. You know, maybe the three of us are exceptions to the rule. But at the same time, every generation's had a lot of that. And, you know, it's finding the aspect of our industry that appeals to them. And then, um, I so talking labor shortage. So you get some of them into some of the labor force. We're never going to fill all the labor shortage we have. This is this was a problem pre-COVID. It's going to be a problem for the next 10 to 20 years. Technology is going to be a huge thing for us. So yeah. uh, we just opened up a, a, um, a new McDonald's in the area here. There's no one in front of the house anymore. Uh, you place wow. your order, you place your order either on that screen or you go through the drive-through. There are people in the back cooking your food. Still need the culinarians, by the way. You may not need the person to take your order, but you still need to make that sure you have the person to actually cook the food. 
But I, I would guarantee you within the next 10 to 15 years, there's no one dropping your fries anymore. I was at the National Restaurant Association show, and there were eight different companies selling robots to actually pull oh, the yeah, fries yeah. out of the freezer, yeah. put it into the basket, take it out of the basket, put it into the cup. And then there's even restaurants that are testing that actually have another robot that puts it into the bag for you, puts it on the conveyor, and sends it out to your car. So um, we're going to eventually, I think, start seeing some of those restaurants that don't need that labor. But what that does, it gives us the opportunity to steer those kids into other places, those, those younger culinarians into places where they might be more satisfied with it. I don't want to drop fries. You want to drop fries? I don't want to drop burger and smell like burgers at the end of the day. But I do want to plate some great food. And, and think about it, Chase, if you and I are at, at Campbell's example, if there wasn't a chef that was designing uh, some of those Milano cookies or design, designing the barbecue pulled pork soup that Greg, another one of our friends that worked on that, the chef didn't design yeah. that first. Shout out to Greg Bugs. Just, just because, yeah, just because we weren't, uh, we're not working in a fine dining restaurant doesn't mean that, um, you know, there's not great food. You know, you get to concentrate for an entire day to make one amazing soup. And I do think that that would appeal more. Uh, yeah. To someone who's interested in not working full time on a line, uh, I think that it's going to give them an opportunity to create delicious food. And then not only does it go to the you know the two hundred people who went to your restaurant that night, it gets to go out to millions of people. And I think that that's the the area that I think to concentrate on. And you know, we it's someone else has to program that that uh, that robot to drop the fries too, though. So <laughs> well, you, you answered you actually answered one of my my thoughts and questions. I was going to tack onto that is the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics actually projects uh, chef and lead line cook jobs to rise five point three nine percent through twenty thirty two. So uh, you know that 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 gap fill, I believe, could be technology and and it takes away those that are like, hey, I don't want to be the fry guy, you know, yeah. okay, fine. But you know what? They're going to need smart minds who understand how to handle food, how to have customer service. I think you're going to be becoming a bit more of a, uh, a more well-rounded culinarian. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people in the back of the house historically uh, like that anonymity uh, and not having to come forward. And I know I had yeah, to push myself true. as the chef to to put on a clean chef coat and walk around and 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 actually face the customer and say, "Hey, how is everything tonight?" and and hope to dear God they said fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> there is definitely a personality difference between front of house and back of house, and I'm, I'm right there with you, Chris. I mean, I remember. Three years ago in 2021 at the ACF National Convention, that was the first time I ever saw robot waiters and, you know, talking to that group out oh, yeah. there. And I was just, yeah. you know, blown away with the thought of it being on the horizon. Yeah. The, and again, so I didn't even talk about that at the NRA show. There, there was there was dozens of, of robots for carrying. And we have a couple restaurants here. So I've got um, uh, one local chef here. He's, he owns a, um, I would call it like an upscale Mandarin Chinese type restaurant. And uh, during, I moved here uh, just after COVID, you know, COVID lockdowns, and it was him and one server, and he was carrying all of his food out to the dining room because he couldn't find any servers. So he went and bought two of those robots, and now he doesn't have to run out to the dining room. The, the, the food's brought out to the table, and it keeps his overhead low, too. So, you know, he had to pay a little bit up front for that, mach that machine, but however, we're losing that human touch However, if you've been out to Deed any time recently, you've noticed that the what, what we used to expect for service has actually gone downhill quite a bit, unfortunately, because COVID, COVID was, was a, 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 a certainly an elevator for, for changing people. There's a lot of people that were doing what we do for a living in restaurants. They were doing it as a job, not as a career. So those people that were doing it as a job left the industry altogether, left those of us who are passionate about it yeah. in the yeah. industry to, to fill in the gap, and, and there's no one to fill the gap. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. I, I was I was living in Wisconsin during that time, and I, I'm in Florida myself. And uh, you know, welcome. <laughs> thank you. Well, I'm back welcome to Florida back. after after 30 years of yeah. living in Florida. I moved to Wisconsin, came back back. But that being said, I, I had the same thought when I when when COVID happened. I don't want anyone to go out of business and and lose their livelihood. But there were so many operations that you went to in the in the market I was in that I was like, you know. Half these places probably shouldn't be in business anyhow, uh, whether it was, uh, you know, just kind of sanitation cleanliness the, of, the, of the restaurant in general, or, or maybe the food was just kind of, eh, you know, that kind of thing. And so I was kind of like, well, I think a lot of those people that just kind of thought it was going to be a moneymaker realized, you know, that it, it, it couldn't because of the situation and they weren't passionate 
they weren't passionate into food. And, and you said it earlier, being a professional, uh, being a chef and hospitality. That was one of the things that I first, uh, I think I really fell in love with first because I started my career really in front of the house. I was with, uh, the Olive Garden at a, um, when, when it was owned by, um, uh, Oh geez, it's not wasn't Darden at the time. Uh, General Mills, I think, owned it. But in anyway, I was in the front of the house making pasta. I was the pasta maker, and yeah. I was running the pasta machine, and I was making all of the fresh made pasta in house. I forgot they used to make pasta in house. Yeah, everything was made in house. The lasagna bricks, the fusilli, the linguini, the fettuccine, everything. And, yeah, and, I remember there was a machine. There was a machine right out in front. Yeah, there was a machine out front that we had. A, we had to throw in our semolina and our eggs. Chase, we're, Chase, we're dating ourselves, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that must be a little bit before my time. It was, yeah. <laughs> and so, so I, I, I was kind of front slash back of the house. So I was prep slash, you know, uh, cook, but I was in the front. So, um, but it was really imposed upon me because I was really kind of part of the a greeting team, the the, the hosts um, team, because I was up front. And so I, I really love the hospitality perspective that they took on. And, and I know some of the, some of the most best booming operations that are going today. And we'll say it is Chick-fil-A. They have gravitated. Mm -hmm. They've put their arms around it. They have proven uh, that you don't have to be open seven days a week for one. They can Mm -hmm. hold to their own, their own personal beliefs. Uh, Their staff gets a guaranteed day off. Mm-hmm. And whether they like saying it or not, it's my pleasure. They're not trained really? that. So I have friends who own own uh, Chick Fil A's in the area here. They're not trained trained that. They just pick that up as so. That's talking about personal excellence and culture. When you when you practice personal excellence and culture, and you and you are passionate and want to want to work somewhere, that's contagious. So that 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 phrase you just said yeah. is not taught. It's contagious because they they love working there. Okay, I've, I've, I've heard it was, uh, they weren't, uh, it was, I don't know if it's in the manual or not, but I had heard another, another, someone tell a story that they weren't allowed to say, uh, thank you or something. It's just always my, it's my pleasure because it denoted, yeah. um, but it's maybe it's just culturally driven through corporate in a way that it's just, it's stuck and it works really well. Sorry yeah. to cut you off there, Chase. I think there's, there's something, no, you're totally fine. I mean, I think that you made a, a really interesting point and kind of brought up something that I've been talking about a bit recently. Um, and it's the notion of hospitality being almost a bit defunct um, amongst um, culinarians, you know, broadly speaking, in that, you know, no one's ever or it's very uncommon for culinarians to be taught hospitality as an actual skill. Um, It's one of those things that to date, or at least as far as to my knowledge, you know, oftentimes people are just kind of expected to either be hospitable or not. And you kind of learn from role models or you learn not as good practices from other role models. You know, do you think that there's an opportunity, you know, culturally to build more, you know, excellence just industry wide through teaching better hospitality. So, so when you when you have chains that are eliminating kitchen manager positions and uh, creating, and I'm not certainly not going to say name the name of the company, where they're they're uh, eliminating kitchen manager positions and giving the general manager both the front of the house and back of the house management position, and then they're eliminating uh, ordering. Uh, from the server and having it done on a screen on your table, uh, you eliminate the necessary training for hospitality. Then you just become someone who takes the food to the table. And uh, we need to move past that. We need to go back to hospitality. We need to go back to training. When you train somebody, that's when someone gets excellence. And that's when I think going back to culinary school, and, and even to the apprenticeship model, but especially culinary school, most, as you know, at the CIA, Chase, when you went there, you had to take, mm-hmm. you had to work in the restaurants. <clears throat> you had to yes. learn proper service and you had, and you know, you weren't paid labor either. You were doing it for free. You were actually paying. <laughs> I was paying so they, to be labor. Yeah. So you could, you know, so you could be hot. And I, and I think we're, we're losing that a little bit. I think we're losing training <laughs> on the job and we're just putting warm bodies into restaurants. So, but when, te- when technology can go too far, and I think in that instance, I mentioned yeah. the first example, technology has gone too far. Um, so how do we, how do we bring that back? You just gotta, you just gotta do it. I hate to say it. Um, it can't just be something, it can't just be 
I need to find a server to go on the floor to go bring food to somebody. Yeah. Somebody and the manager has to be trained in it too. So if you have managers that work their way up from that, they've never learned it. And then you just create this vicious cycle. So yeah. I don't think it's dead. I, I just think it, I think someone's got to got to want to bring it back. Well, I, I'd like to add. I, I mean, I've done a little bit of homework, so I've, I I believe um, the ACF could really carry this torch really well. Uh, you know, the the guiding principles of the entire organization are really based in what we're talking about, the professionalism, the collaboration, uh, you know, that leadership and, and the excellence and personal excellence. I think taking ownership is, is such a critical part of just being a person, but also being a chef and yeah. helping the industry as a whole move it forward and, and move to the future. So um, that it kind Listen, of- you, you, could be, you could be hospitable or professional and change the way you dress and still be a professional. So you don't notice because I'm not standing up, but I'm wearing a short sleeve coat and, and, and I'm covered in tattoos. So 10 oh. years ago, we, with the ACF, <laughs> we had a campaign that was Be That Chef. And uh, in the fi- picture, I was working for Campbell Soup Company at the time my arms were folded. And they cropped the picture with the ACF to hide my tattoos because at the time it probably wasn't as acceptable, but now it is. Yeah. I'm not any different as a person 10 years ago for my hospitality, though, as I am today. Um, the, the the uniform is still a professional uniform. As you see, I've got logos. This When I'm sitting up straight, it's a press jacket, but it, it's, a, it's a professional <laughs> image. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we do adapt with the times with it, um, but we can't we can't let go of those values. When you start letting go of those values, which I think, unfortunately, a number of restaurants, as you're alluding to, have let go of those values, uh, we start to fall apart. And then it's more expensive to go eat out now than it was. I literally, four years ago, our our, table, our tickets have, have doubled in price because of ingredients. So if you want to get, to get people to come out, and I went to Waffle House this morning for breakfast with uh, with my men's group. It cost me $25, $25 for waffle. I also eat a lot, so I had three portions of ham. <laughs> I didn't want to say, but I was probably like, you ordered the left side of the menu, chef. <laughs> I, I ordered whatever that giant plate of waffle. I got the waffle. I got the hash browns. I got the toast. I got the eggs and three portions of ham. So, oh, <laughs> nice. That, the hash, smash ham. them and bash but, them. But I, will t- I, I will tell you, though, yeah. the server I had at Waffle House, people joke about it, but the server I had at Waffle House was one of the most hospitable people I've ever met in my entire life. She was, she was, uh, she was on it. She knew, she memorized the order, didn't have to write it down. And she also, you know, called us. She started, she was ta- talking with us, engaging with us, and completely professional. So if Waffle House can get it right, I think all the other restaurants can get it right. <laughs> Yeah, I think everyone can get it right. It's, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Uh, uh, you know, I guess one of the things the ACF is is very well known for, obviously, is the certifications, right? Um, and people like myself and Chase and and we we all have formal culinary education, and and moving forward, I think there's more to. I think that the certifications mean something more than just a couple letters on your chef coat. Uh, how, how do you feel about, and maybe you got a thoughts around, you know, chefs that are looking to elevate their game maybe and, and, and move forward in the industry and bring something more to the table. Yeah. So one of the things that turns people off sometimes is, is would be sometimes I think the letters that are on our jacket is something we wear pride though. <laughs> And I think it has to do more. What we need to do is better educate people what those letters are, the general population, so that people don't feel that way. I think it's also every once in a while, we've got 153 chapters in the U.S. Every once in a while, you're going to run into some members that aren't the most hospitable people either. And they get their whole entire vision of our 14,000 members based off of one person. Right. Please, I, I encourage people to not do that. Um, we have a lot of professionals. But the, the, what's important about the certifications is the certifications are a level of, as I mentioned, keep saying over and over again, a level of professionalism and excellence. Mm-hmm. It's excellence in cooking, but also management, supervision, finances, um, uh, every number. Like literally one of the questions on the exam, I'm not going to tell you the answer, was what's the illumination level required for a store, for a, a dry storage area? Um, that's one of the questions on the on the written exam for the certified executive chef. Interesting. So it, it gets into that detail. So if we educate people to understand what our certifications are, people right. understand it more. So one of the things I want to push forward, though, is so we have certifications for what really ends up being fine dining and full service chefs. As we keep talking about over and over again, these chain restaurants and different restaurants like that and food trucks. 
there's a different level of certification that I want to come up with to build, build around that, that we can help the industry more broadly. So is there a culinary manager certification, culinary ministry? I'm not sure. Uh, I do have our certification commission working on that right now. So it's you'll see that come out within the next year or so. But I think that that'll be a game changer. But if I don't tell people about it and we just assume that people are going to come to us, no one's going to know. It'll be pointless. So um, I'm working also on a, on a very big uh, promotional campaign for us to get more recognition for the ACF and the general population of the U.S. too. When we run Team USA, which is the competition team that's in Germany right now, and we don't have gov the U.S. government backing us like other teams and other countries do, there's something missing there. So um, that we got to work on that. And that certification, I think, is the groundwork for that. Interesting. Uh, so, so I'm I'm not familiar enough with the Olympic teams and and that kind of backing. Uh, can you just give us a quick minute on what what other countries are doing for their teams? Oh gosh. So, well, France. You know, everyone thinks of France first when they think of food. They aren't the team that wins every year, though. So, the Nordic teams are the ones that are doing the best. So, almost about 24 countries, I think, are competing this year. It's every four years. We call it the Culinary Olympics. It's in Earth, uh, it's in oh, Stuttgart, Germany, this year. Uh, and it'll be switching for the next one in four years. But every four years, all these teams, they get ready. There's other competitions they get ready with, but uh, it's four, a five-member team, and uh, they have to do a whole lot of different things that show the culinary excellence of the country. Um, and uh, they all compete together. But a lot of other countries, the majority of other countries, have backing from their governments. For some reason, we don't have that backing, and that's one of my missions is to get figure out a way to do that properly. Um, we now self currently self-fund. Uh, so the American Colonial Innovation funds it along with our sponsors. So we have a lot of sponsor dollars going behind that. But I do think that with all the money that our country spends on everything else in other countries, I think we should spend a little bit money on our, on representing the cuisine of the United States. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is there any space for doing anything? I mean, I know to your point, there's always you know different ways to find partnerships and represent your cuisine. Is there anything to be said about you know aligning with different commodity boards and and showing what is actually grown, what makes America such a bountiful country, both from a culinary perspective, but also you know, what drives that culinary perspective, yeah. right? What are the what are the fruits of our labor? Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if we've done that in the past, but that's certainly a, a certain path forward, I, I believe. Yeah, I think I think it's a strong point to look at. I mean, every every state has its own, you know, agricultural department, right? So oh, absolutely. You have you have fifty potential. We got the pork board. We got the U.S. beef checkoff. We've got like every everything. Yeah. So absolutely, there's a million of those things to look at. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, I wish them best of luck and uh, and then uh, success when they come back, and perhaps we can get those guys to share a little bit about what they did. Uh, any yeah. any any final thoughts or comments uh, that that you uh, would love to share with us, Chef? Anything we missed? Anything we missed? Oh, uh, yeah. Do you want more of my background? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, no we're out of time, no, folks. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I, I want people to give ideas, uh, ask questions. Um, if you have a complaint, come with a solution. Uh, and because I, I certainly hear, hear quite a few of those, but I'd love to have people part of that. In, in the past, we've had a lot of commissions and task force and different things that we've had, but not a lot, but we have a lot more because people are willing to see us move forward. Uh, COVID certainly was was um, a little detrimental to us, just like was the rest of the industry. But uh, I, I want more people to be involved. So if there's been something that you didn't like about the ACF in the past, I would tell you we're probably working on fixing it. And if we're not, bring this, bring, come to the table, and we would love to have you part of the solution for us to move it forward. Um, back when I joined, we had almost 30,000 members. We're down to about 14,000 members. That's because we weren't looking at growth holistically. And uh, that's one of the things we're doing doing now. So conservatively, I want us to 50,000 plus members within the next five to seven years. And I know that we can get there, but we need to make sure that we're adding value. So as those certifications, accreditation, apprenticeship, all those different areas, I know we're going to continue to grow but we got to get it out. And that's why I appreciate being on here with you guys, because uh, that being on podcasts, being in different areas of media, gives us an opportunity to talk about it a little bit more. So yeah, well, I bring, appreciate it. bringing some real benefits to the members, yeah. I think is uh, one of the things I heard you talking about and, and bringing more value. And, and I, I was, when I came out of Johnston and Wales, uh, the first thing you told me, go to, go to ACF meetings and join. And I did. Yeah. And uh, I was like, and it, and it, it didn't strike me. I didn't really know and understand networking a whole lot. I was like, 
I got a job at a restaurant. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, yep. as you get older, you start reflecting back on it and you start realizing that there is something more to it. Uh, and I love that you are, 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 are open to hearing also, uh, saying, just don't come and complain, uh, bring, bring yeah. some, bring some solutions, have some ideas. You got an idea. Well, well, yeah, you know, I'll just add one more, one more thing in there. Um, you have to put a little effort into it too. If you want to be a member where otherwise you're just going to get your digital magazine that comes to you every month and, and every other, other month. Now, if you don't put a little effort into it, and I said 90% of my career came from being part of the ACF because I, I went to all the different aspects of what we have in our industry but networking was the biggest thing. So if you go up to somebody and they don't talk to you first, find another person to go talk to. Because guess what? As you can tell from me, I like to talk. So all, I think all yeah. chefs do. Yeah. Um, just you got to find the right audience. So Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Before you go, before you go, Chris, if you could name the one dish that makes you feel most comfortable, your truest comfort food, what, what would it be? Uh, cassoulet. I love cassoulet. It's one of my favorite dishes. Oh, that's a perfect dish. <laughs> Either that one or Shakrut Garni's tattoo on my arm, so sauerkraut with smoked sausages and ham and, and whatnot, or or cassoulet. I, I spent a lot of time, and in, in, uh, I, I, I did some research in France for a week on cassoulet. It made four, had 45 different versions of it, and uh, Ooh, it's wow. uh, it takes three days to make it, and I love sharing it with people all the time, too. But then I also throw barbecue in there. I'm not sure. So <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think the point is there's a lot of food that makes you feel good and food makes a lot of people yeah. feel good. And, 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 uh, you know, maybe another day we'll get back and talk about how, how food I, I, makes people feel good and healthy. But I think one the most important part of that question, actually more so than the food is the people you're sharing it with. And if we don't bring that hospitality back to our industry, you're not going to be worrying about sharing it with other people. Uh, I think it's important for us to think again, What's that holistic picture? Because without the people, it's just food, uh, it's just sustenance. So sharing it with others is important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, wow. We, we really thank you for your time. And uh, we're going to ask uh, everyone just to, you know, share this episode with their friends, listen to it twice. We'll break it down into different sections. So you'll be able to capture it into smaller snippets and all that. So uh, to all of those explore with us that we're exploring today, what it means to be a chef. Uh, hopefully you got you thinking, scratching your brain a little bit. Uh, again, thank you, Chef Tanner, for being a part of this. And uh, I think that's all we have for today. Uh, Chef Chase, you want to take us out? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Chris, thank you so much for being here. I mean, this has been an awesome conversation. It's always great to chat with you, but I mean, especially this conversation, you know, it just, it, it feels like the ACF and the culinary industry as a whole are, are in a good spot. And it seems like, you know, with you at the helm, moving in a very positive direction. So thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. And you know, if you if you want to reach out to Chris, you can find him on LinkedIn, Christopher Tanner. There, you can find Dan or myself. You know our names, Dan Policy and Chase Openchain, of course. And you know, please feel free to reach out to any and all of us, and uh, we'll look forward to exploring with you in the future. Yeah, check out your local chapter of the ACF. Maybe that's a good place to start too. Yeah, all right, absolutely. absolutely. All right, guys, we'll see you in the field.